COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it. It's Thursday, the 23rd of April. This is Coronavirus Watch. Kate Ryan and Ben O'Shea here. And Ben, we had seven new recoveries overnight and no new cases in WA. Surely this is good news. It's fantastic news. The second day in a row uh, with no new patients diagnosed with COVID-19. And so now that means there's only been two new cases in the past five days, I think, uh, which is really a phenomenal result. Uh, It brings the total confirmed cases in Western Australia up to 546. But as you mentioned, we've had seven new recoveries, which means currently there are only 81 people in Western Australia who currently would be considered to have the coronavirus. That's incredible. I mean, as Mark McGowan said today, WA's performance has been outstanding. Um, unfortunately, we have nationally had another death. Yeah, that's that's the number that while low compared to other countries, it's the stat that hurts the most. Yeah. Uh, and there was another death added to Australia's total with bringing the national uh, number up to 75 for this pandemic. It was a 79-year-old resident at the Newmarch House, an aged care facility in Sydney. And she's the fourth person from that facility to die from COVID-19, which is, which is why the aged care facilities uh, have been so tough on refusing entry to family members. I know Mark McGowan spoke today and said that uh, he thought it was wrong I think was the word he used, that these uh, aged care providers would not allow family members to visit the elderly. Uh, And I I, I sympathise certainly with anybody in those facilities and their family who just want to get close to their relatives in a very, very difficult time. But the experience here of Newmarch House in Sydney shows that it doesn't take very much for this virus to get into one of those facilities. And once it does, it can be absolutely catastrophic. Yeah, especially because the people in there are probably some of the most vulnerable in our society. Uh, moving worldwide and the numbers are still staggering. Yeah, it's up to now 2,628,000 confirmed cases uh, and the deaths are rising as well. 183,441 people have died of this coronavirus worldwide. Wow, that's just incredible. Coming back home and today's main topic in WA was because we're doing so well health-wise, how will the government look to fix the economy? Today there was some relief for both tenants and landlords as well as the construction industry. The government, both state and federal, have done uh, made a lot of decisions around trying to support businesses as best we can uh, and uh, support households. We, that is, as a result of that, we've had to make decisions that we never thought we'd make, I must admit, uh, when, we first, when you first get elected to Parliament. And one of those has been the intervention into the relationship between landlord and tenant, both residential and commercial, uh, to protect, uh, obviously, those tenants. Uh, but also we do need to provide support to landlords. Yeah, that was Treasurer Ben Wyatt there speaking today. It is great to see him up at the podium. It wasn't that long ago that the Treasurer said he was going to chuck it in. So it's great to see that this uh, very accomplished politician still has his hand on the wheel in Western Australia. And yeah, it was interesting to hear him describe uh, the government getting involved in this relationship. (laughs) It's kind of like when you have two friends who are a couple and they're fighting and you don't want to get involved in that. You definitely don't want to get in the middle of it. So it's not very usual for government to place themselves in between a tenant and a landlord but that's what they had to do in this situation because we have so many people out of work or with reduced incomes Um, and then you've got commercial and residential uh, landlords who also have uh, bills to pay and so we saw I guess a tweaking of some of the legislation that's already been put in place which was geared towards I guess protecting the 
tenants, whether it was residential or commercial. Today, there was a bit more relief for landlords. Uh, and so what we're going to see is $100 million committed by the state government uh, for relief of land tax. So you're going to see 25% of a land tax on a, a commercial property be waived uh, in, a, in a grant. Um, and so that's like the equivalent of a two months rent or something like that. Um, and so what you're going to see is it's not going to be paid to the tenants, it's going to be paid to the landlords. There's also going to be some relief um, for residential tenants. And so it's for the people who can't afford to pay their rent. Uh, and that's a, a 30%, I think, of yeah. their income is going on their weekly rent. Uh, and so for those people who are eligible, they'll be able to get uh, a $2,000 grant, but it won't be paid to the tenants. It'll be paid directly to the landlords. Mm -hmm. And I think this is fills the hole that the previous legislation, I guess, left. There was maybe not as much protection for landlords uh, because we're not really seeing the banks coming to the mm -hmm. party. Uh, they're, they're helping a little bit in terms of, you know, maybe waiving mortgage payments for six months or something like that, but they're certainly still charging landlords interest. Uh, yeah. And so this from the government today, I think, will ease the concerns of some of the, in particular, um, residential landlords. And I think uh, both Ben White and Mark McGowan made it clear today that, uh, you know, this is not about, uh, you know, the massive businesses uh, that, yeah. you know, that, that have a huge property portfolio. Uh, this is about small businesses. It's about residential tenants uh, who are vulnerable. And it's also about the mum and dad investors, of which there are many in Perth and around Western Australia, who maybe have one investment property that they're renting out. This is going to give them a little bit of protection that the legislation that they announced in the last couple of weeks was kind of they were in danger of slipping through the cracks. Yeah, it seems like that land tax was the what they found was the sticking point between tenants and landlords, and um, to be a, to be able to apply f for it, I guess the the landlords they have to give rent relief equivalent of three months to to be able to get that twenty five percent land tax uh, reduction. Now, for tenants to get this uh, grant of up to two thousand dollars, it was interesting that we heard that you need less than ten thousand dollars worth of savings in your account. And I'm I'm guessing people who are vulnerable wouldn't have even close to that much. Yeah, I think that's that probably covers a lot of people. I think uh, even people who still have jobs might not have uh, ten thousand dollars yeah. in savings. That's the kind <laughs> of society we live in these days. But it wasn't just uh, the uh, residential tenants and uh, to do with landlords. There was also some money today announced for the construction industry and Mark McGowan said it was so important that we protect this industry and make sure that there was training opportunities uh, for apprentices and trainees um, because we're going to need them. We're going to, he said, we must retain this skilled workforce. Uh, he mentioned uh, pl uh, plumbers, uh, brickies, electricians, mm -hmm. these type of tradies who are going to be rebuilding, literally rebuilding Western Australia as we come to the other side of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and so we're looking at uh, $24.5 million in a support package um, for the building and construction industry, uh, $10 million in one-off payments of uh, $2,000 to employers to help them keep existing apprentices, and uh, $9 million in grants to, uh, to businesses to help them retain apprentices as well. So there's a few different mechanisms there, uh, and it's all about uh, enabling uh, these businesses uh, to keep the apprentices they have on their books. There's also some money in there for apprentices who want to take on uh, new skills courses. They can claim back up to $1,000 of a new skills course to upskill. If maybe they've taken a bit of a dip in their workload at the moment, they can use their spare time to upskill. Uh, and then when things get started again, they'll have a whole uh, raft of new skills that they can bring and hopefully earn more money and help uh, boost the economy. Yeah, we saw on the West Australian 
front page this morning that it was young people who were being mostly greatly impacted by this. They're the ones losing their jobs more. And the Premier said, we've seen a fourfold increase in apprentice and trainee suspensions. So I guess it it's really encouraging uh, employers to keep their trainees. Now, in this same press conference, Mark McGowan says we need to save money for the recovery. We can't give it all away before we get to the end of this. He said uh, we won't know what we'll be spending on once this is done. So I guess it's you know trying to keep some money in the bank yeah. so that they can uh, they can still give out grants if needed. It might be advertising, it might be further grants, um, and that could be boosting tourism, which I'm sure a lot of tourism operators are really happy about because they're really suffering. Um, But he said that wouldn't really be for a while. Take a listen. I know the tourism industry is uh, struggling. Um, That's understandable. I mean, we frankly don't have any international tourists. We don't have any people from the city travelling to the regions. Uh, It is very difficult for the tourism industry at this point in time, as it is for the retail industry, as it is for the hospitality industry. Uh, Obviously, the intrastate borders, the borders between regions, are something that is affecting that. But but on the other hand, the highest rates of infection have been in the city. And a lot of regional people, in fact, a great many, have said they want these borders to stay in place for longer rather than a shorter period. So, look, we'll review them over time, but we don't have any intention of lifting them uh, in the short term. So yesterday I spoke to Marcus Falconer, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Golden Outback uh, Tourism uh, Promotion Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he advocates for all of the tourism operators in that area. So that's Kalgoorlie, Goldfields, down to yeah. Esperance, a huge swathe of huge, Western yeah. Australia. And yeah, the operators, as you mentioned, they're really struggling at the moment. They're doing it tough, uh, but they're all looking forward. They're using this time to prepare themselves, to work out how they can improve the, their offerings because they're expecting this huge influx yeah. of, of domestic tourism uh, from Western Australians here in Perth once uh, the travel restrictions are lifted. Uh, and so I think it would, you know, if you've got a bit of spare time at home right now, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like get onto Google, think about where you might want to go. And it's not just it's not just Margaret River. We all yeah. know how wonderful that is. Think about places like Exmouth or Broome um, or into Kalgoorlie and out through the goldfields. There really are some amazing parts of WA and uh, we should spend time in Western Australia when this is all uh, in the rearview mirror. Yeah, you mentioned even a couple of days ago, speaking of Exmouth, that uh, the operators up there are going to not only miss one season, they're probably going to, the equivalent of three seasons they're going to miss because the whale sharking season, which is really what holds... Yeah, uh, holds the town together, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so start thinking about that because we will get to the other side of this. The travel restrictions will eventually be relaxed, not yet. It's, he can't quite see where on the horizon that is at the moment, but it will come if we keep uh, up all the hard work that we're doing at the moment in flattening the curve. Uh, and so, yeah, and then we'll be able to escape into Western Australia and uh, that Do It in WA campaign yeah. will actually, <laughs> it's not wasted. They can actually bring that back. Yeah, exactly. Now, while we're on the topic of economy and at the end of this health crisis, what's going to happen? Scott Morrison said that his government doesn't want to increase taxes as the way out of this economic crisis. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like he mentioned uh, franking credits and negative gearing, which was kind of like the kryptonite for uh, Bill Shorten at the last federal election. <laughs> so it's no surprise there that he doesn't want to touch negative gearing. I think that would be uh, political suicide for a Liberal Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, he also stared down the major banks, warning them not to forget that they have an important role to play in this economic recovery. And he said that he'd heard reports that businesses were not getting help from their banks as readily as 
maybe they yeah. should be. Uh, and he, he said his word was he was concerned by that. And I think I think everybody's concerned by that at the moment. The banks, you know, as we know, the big ones make billions of dollars yeah, of profit. It's just been a royal commission on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They have to make up some ground, I think, to win back the trust of Australians. And so this is a perfect opportunity for them, I think, uh, to, to step up to the plate, I think, is, is kind of the way that, that ScoMo put it. Um, uh, but they're talking about while they might not t- increase taxes, they don't want to tax people. He didn't think that was the right path. But they have to find ways to uh, fill the coffers again. They've just mm-hmm. spent, you know, 130 plus billion dollars on a on a bailout. Um, this money doesn't come from everywhere, from anywhere. Doesn't grow on trees, that's for sure. Um, and he also uh, talked about people who'd taken money out of their super yeah. funds today. Yeah, um, it comes as I think 3.8 billion dollars worth of super funds has been withdrawn in Australia. So that's that's a huge amount of money. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really blame the people taking that money out. They're losing that money anyway. I know several people who've just been watching their super accounts just dwindle. So if they take it out, it's in their hands instead of just disappearing and going nowhere. Yeah, like I think if you were if you were on the verge of retirement, then you probably would look at taking your money out of super funds um, because they've ha- had a huge hit with the the impact of the coronavirus on global stock markets. If you're young, like you, Kate, not so much <laughs> me, uh, then I think you'd probably bank on the stock markets bouncing back after this. And so, yeah, I don't think we we definitely shouldn't take our money out of our super funds. Leave it there, and and it'll all turn out okay yeah. in the end. Like. It'll ride this bump and uh, and we'll probably bounce back. We've seen it before with other crises in the past, um, but certainly uh, people closer to retirement age, uh, it's it's going to have a huge impact on yeah. their nest egg. Yeah, five, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars disappeared in a week. So you can see why some people are taking getting that very money nervous. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also on the national agenda again is this tracing app. Obviously, a lot of people have concerns, but today Scott Morrison pretty much said it's our civil duty to download it. Yeah, it's another guilt trip from ScoMo today, and I actually feel for the government because there are other countries, especially Asian countries, who've brought out uh, this similar type of tracking app just to keep an eye on what the population is doing, check the spread of the virus. It's incredibly helpful to have all of that data at the push of a button for health professionals. Uh, and while in Asian countries they had just they just as a no brainer, they downloaded. Mm-hmm. It, they used it. Uh, they did what they were told. Australians are very different, and I ha- fear that this app could be a bit of a flop um, unless they make it compulsory and, and tie it to some mechanism for punishment. If, if you don't download it, yeah. because it's while Scomo today promised that you know the police wouldn't have access to this data and they wouldn't be able to use you know they wouldn't be able to track you and see if you've been too close to people and give you a fine for not social distancing and other agencies wouldn't be able to get access to the data. It was only going to be the health tracers, the health detectives who would have access to the data. And look, I would take that at face value. But whether or not the app can be hacked and then you can lose your data to someone else, that's a different story. We've seen you know, apps that have spent much more time in development have security risks like that. This one's been rushed through. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think it serves a valuable purpose. Do I think that's enough to convince average Joe Blow Australian to download it? To be honest with you, I don't. No. And clearly Scott Morrison today was really pleading for us to download yeah, good it. Good luck. <laughs> Take a listen. It's not a silver bullet. It goes along with many other initiatives that the government is pursuing. I, I want to be clear about again what this is. This is a tool, a public health tool, to assist health officers and state and territory governments 
when someone has contracted the coronavirus to assist them in that work to con contact others who may have been put at risk. That's what we're trying to do here. There's been a lot of, quite rightly, uh, praise and commendation for our health officers, our nurses, our doctors. You want to help the health system, you want to help nurses, you want to help paramedics, you want to help doctors and say thank you for the great job they're doing, then you can help them uh, by supporting and downloading the app which will be released soon. Now that app, um, the information that is collected from that app um, goes into a national data store that is fully encrypted and the Commonwealth Government has no access. <laughs> it's, it, he's emphatic about that. Like, you, you have to take him at face value that the data will be protected and there is, you know, they've definitely got bigger fish to fry here. They don't really care what we're doing. They only want to track us in terms of the coronavirus and allow the app to take some of the responsibility and away from us so then we can get back to not, you know, doing uh, going about our lives again. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's we'll a see. it's going to be a, it's going to be a struggle. Good luck to them. Yeah. I, we'll, I guess we'll wait and see how that unfolds. Yeah. Um, now we haven't really heard much about the cruise ship sagas of late, yeah. probably because well, they've, they've left, all left. Western Australian waters, which yeah. has been fantastic. Mark McGowan is sleeping easy at night again. Yep, he's not tossing and turning and having nightmares anymore. And some good news for the east coast as well. This uh, death ship, yeah. as it's been called, the Ruby Princess, has left. Yeah, I saw some photos this afternoon. It left it left the Savo uh, from Wollongong, Illawarra, and it had a sign, big, huge sign on the back of the boat that said "Thank you, Illawarra," uh, which is that's a lovely sentiment. But uh, and there was a couple of people standing there watching, and they weren't exactly waving it off. <laughs> they might have been doing some. They might have been doing some hand gesture. It wasn't a friendly wave. Uh, so yeah, I think everybody's happy to see the Ruby Princess leave as this uh, commission is unfolding in New South Wales to examine exactly what went wrong. Some of the stuff we've already heard is. Is just staggering. Like the the ship's doctor forgot to update the health log of who might have had coronavirus until a day after passengers had disembarked. Oh like because he just I don't know. Did he forget? I don't know what the deal was there. But uh, so yeah, we'll wait and see exactly how that uh, turned into such a debacle. Um, but uh, it sailed off into the distance, and uh, yeah, hopefully the uh, spectre of cruise ships uh, can be a thing of the past for us in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, now, moving on to international news, and this piece of news is really quite concerning. It seems to have been going on in the background amongst all of the other coronavirus uh, news has really hit the headlines. It comes from an article by The Conversation, for those of you that might not be aware. This is a website uh, curating articles from experts. So there are dozens of universities involved in the research of the article. So I'm pretty confident in what they're saying is true. So it's not quite the same as reading something on Facebook that you make. No. <laughs> no. Uh, but I kind of wish it wasn't true. Uh, this article says coronavirus is paving the way for something probably even more frightening, the rise of superbugs. Now, superbugs are antibiotic-resistant bacteria, and half of people who have died from coronavirus in Wuhan died because of a secondary bacterial infection um, because their immune system was so low the bacterial infection took hold so it wasn't necessarily coronavirus that did it it was the bacteria that got into them now emerging data has also shown that 90 percent of coronavirus patients are being given antibiotics while they're in hospital so that's huge concerns it's going to create a, a whole new generation of these superbugs that yeah. are resistant to those antibiotics yeah and because there's a huge amount of people in hospital um, a really an unprecedented amount and for all of those to be given 
antibiotics. The mm. bacteria just have this chance to, to evolve, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily great news. The, the good news in this, <laughs> if you can see it, is that some viruses can kill superbugs. I'm not sure they didn't say whether it was coronavirus that could do it. <laughs> um, and they're also pouring more research into how they can combat superbugs, um, even though at this stage it's just really creating stronger antibiotics. Which we need because there is a real problem uh, at the moment in medicine uh, in this this kind of gap between what our antibiotics can kill mm -hmm. and the things that are resistant to the antibiotics. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time until a, a really bad superbug comes along uh, that could be you know similar to this pandemic that we're experiencing now. So if some of the, the vast amount of money and resources and attention that's going into researching uh, COVID-19 can be directed towards this as well, then I think, you know, we might see some real steps forward in uh, antibiotic research as well, which is a massive positive. Yeah, hopefully. Moving over to Taiwan, uh, they've seen a wave of new infections, 28 on a Navy ship. But despite that, their president, Tsai Ing-wen, has been praised as one of the many female world leaders getting on top of this virus. Yeah, the female leaders around the world are getting a lot more credit than their male counterparts for how they're responding to this pandemic. And as well as uh, President Tsai Ing-wen in Taiwan, her vice president, Chen Qianzhen, is actually an epidemiologist. So uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we don't have too many politicians in Australia that are epidemiologists. So that certainly helps. And Taiwan's a country, a similar population to Australia. They've got 23 million people, obviously in a much smaller geographical area. Uh, and they've only had uh, less than 500 confirmed cases and only six deaths so far. So that's an incredible result for Taiwan. But it's not just in Taiwan. You've got female leaders in Iceland who are being praised, uh, Norway, uh, New Zealand, of course, Jacinda Ardern, uh, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany. Uh, there's one, a Caribbean nation. The prime minister there has also kind of gone viral for her tough talking <laughs> to her population. She said, if you don't like, stay at home. If you don't like the bread you've got at home, eat crackers. Uh, so they've really taken a no-nonsense approach, but they've also been, uh, I guess, very thoughtful in the way that they've rolled out various restrictions uh, and communicated it in a way that got their populations on board. Uh, and we've seen... Well, the, no, the, the most notable uh, example is probably America, where that a male politician, a male president, uh, has not really been able to do that as well. Uh, does it mean women make better politicians and world leaders than men? Maybe it does. Possibly. Maybe it does. <laughs> well, speaking of the US, again, uh, a few weeks ago we saw the scenes of spring breakers risking their lives and the lives of others in Florida. I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they've come out of, Florida have come out of that pretty unscathed, but there are new concerns for the Sunshine State. Yeah, a new wave of infections uh, have hit Florida. This was the the place where Donald Trump, he's you know he's got uh, Mar-a-Lago down there, his home away from home, and he once said you know they, they didn't have a problem in Florida. There's only a couple of hundred cases when there was probably about seven thousand cases, yep. and now uh, they've gone up to over twenty eight thousand cases in Florida. Uh, and when they thought uh, that other states are starting to flatten the curve, Florida seems to be trending in the wrong direction, and the peak of infections could still be two weeks away. Uh, they've enforced stay-at-home orders. Um, it's Some of that is not really working. Uh, and so, yeah, you have to really wonder about the mentality of people down there. Yeah. Um, their, their first stay-at-home order came a month after their first case. So it's really concerning that there could have been 
hundreds of people yeah. infected. They're still playing, still playing golf, doing all sorts <laughs> of stuff. The WWE is down there. They're still going. Yeah. Uh, so any, anything goes in Florida. And uh, one thing that is going is uh, COVID-19 and <laughs> yeah. going great guns. Yeah, especially because there's such an old population. It's known as the place where you, where you go, go to retire. retire. Exactly. So I bet all the people in the retirement homes, they're probably doing the right thing. It's these, you know, these uh, these party boys and girls <laughs> who, are, who are doing the wrong thing. But it isn't just the frat boys and party bros mm-hmm. that are getting COVID-19 in America at the moment. The, the, the strangest news that I think I've heard this week, and I know it'll come as a sh- huge shock to a lot of listeners here, two pet cats in Aww. New York have tested positive for the coronavirus. I don't know. I don't know what would prompt you to have a cat tested. Like I would think it's it's probably just coughing up a furball first off. But no, they've tested them, and it has been uh, a positive, uh, positive result. So they've had this mild respiratory illness, um, and they're expected to recover. It's not. I don't think it's going to be fatal for pets. But I know here uh, at the newspaper, I've had lots of questions from readers: uh, Can my can my dog? Can my cat? Can my pet get coronavirus? So now we can't categorically categorically say that that's not possible because yep. here we go there's a tiger in new york that's also got it and now two cats as well oh, that's so sad some people yeah. might say it's a bit sad what is going to happen to anzac day uh, this yes. year because it's going to be very different to what we've seen in the past there are tens of thousands of people go to king's park for the dawn service mm-hmm. uh, and there are dawn services held around the state that, that are very uh, poignant gatherings to remember uh, the fallen and those who have served Australia in uh, various wars over the years. It's a very important part of uh, Australian culture and a part of our society. This year, with mass gatherings banned, uh, we're not going to see that. And the RSLWA uh, wants the dr- people to stand in their driveways, at their farm gate, out their front of their house to commemorate um, Anzac Day. And they think that you know this could be something that actually stays with us uh, after the pandemic is gone. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting to think that um, people could just still honour the Anzacs. Yeah, just well, all you need to driveway. do is all you need to do is stand at the front of your house at six a.m. Uh, on Saturday and uh, and be quiet, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that there would be a lot more people who will get up at dawn if it just meant going to the end of your driveway. Yeah, well, I think so, and it's something that you can do if you, with with your kids. You don't have to drag them out of bed at five o'clock in the morning and find a parking spot up at Kings Park. Mm-hmm. It's very you can stay in your pajamas if you really want to and go out into your front yard and it's it's about i guess communicating that message of the anzacs uh to your kids and telling them what it's all about uh you can still listen to the the, the iconic last post is played on radio stations uh there's a uni- university of western australia uh conservatorium student who'll be playing it on a trumpet and that's going to be streamed via the wa opera and uwa social media channels uh and so there's a few different ways that you can still be a part of it uh and and it's important to go out there and just think about all of those people uh who've given their lives or given us another type of sacrifice uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy today and also spare a thought for the veterans, those elderly veterans who may have uh, existing health conditions or may be uh, just because of their age more vulnerable to COVID-19 at this time. And so they're the ones, this is their special day. This is when they get a chance to be recognised for their service. That's not going to happen. It's going to be very different. It's going to be a individual and private recognition that they receive but hopefully for them it has no less meaning because uh, you know their sacrifices can't be forgotten. Yeah definitely. Now while we're in this uh, time there's been a lot of anxiety around. Um, A lot of people feel it being at home, what's going to happen to their jobs Uh, and Google searches or the the data around Google searches has found there's been a spike in people searching for good news, from people wanting to search funny memes, light-hearted content, anything that is 
funny or good news or anything like that. People are just desperate for it. Yeah, I can relate that. I can relate to that. I feel bad uh, as a co-host of a coronavirus <laughs> podcast because uh, we, uh, we, although we do, to be fair, we do put some funny stuff in here at the end. So we, because it is important to to take a break from all of this heaviness. We mm-hmm. know we've spoken about it before. What a toll that can have on your mental health, and it's, and we know that it's it's very very critical to take a break from that. Don't get too bogged down in this negative news all the time because it's it's terrible stuff uh, that's going on around the world. In Canada, they've started a trend called caremongering. Uh, it started as a Facebook group to help the vulnerable and elderly, but it's quickly spread and now it's become its own movement. It's all about spreading kindness uh, and something that the Canadians wouldn't have any trouble with. <laughs> yeah. um, and also, um, I'm sure you know him from The Office and lots of other um, movies and yeah, TV movies, shows. Yeah. Um, John Krasinski has set up his own YouTube channel. It's called Some Good News with John Krasinski. <laughs> it's already got two million subscribers and each episode reaches millions and millions of people. We better get straight to the good news. For the past few weeks, we've been covering the front lines and it's many heroes. But those heroes aren't just the ones wearing scrubs. It's not only the nurses and doctors that are putting their lives on the line every single day. From grocery store employees to utility technicians, from police and fire to sanitation and transportation, and of course the many delivery men and women, there is a network of people that are not only keeping their companies afloat, they're keeping this country alive. Sound the horn, we're in all of this together. There's lots of people out there who still recognise the people who are out there doing their jobs and and kind of sacrificing their own health. Yeah, especially in America uh, where we've seen that the virus has probably taken a an, uh, disproportionate toll mm-hmm. on the lower socioeconomic groups and African-American people because they're the ones who usually find themselves in these service roles. Uh, some people who are, uh, have you know higher paid jobs have the luxury of sitting at home on their couches and working from home or whatever. But if you're a taxi driver, if you work in a supermarket, if you're an Uber driver uh, or an Uber Eats driver, you don't, you don't have that luxury. You only get paid if you go to work. And in America, in particular, yeah. that can be quite dangerous at the moment. Uh, and so, yeah, they're heroes as well. Yeah. So it's great to see some good news finally. I know it's the highlight of my day searching for the good news to put at the end of this podcast. Now that's Coronavirus Watch for now. You can keep up to date with more coronavirus news at thewest.com.au or join us again tomorrow when we take you through the coronavirus news that matters to you. Bye for now.